This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Heartland Institute's Daily Podcast. I'm Sterling Burnett. Director of the Arthur B. Robinson Center on Climate and Environmental Policy and Managing Editor of Environment and Climate News. Back in May, I was pleased to have the Honorable Jason Isaac as a, a fourth-generation Texan on the podcast as a guest. He served four terms in the Texas House of Representatives, where he served on the Energy Resources and Environmental Regulation Committees. At that time, we were discussing what was going on in the states, and in particular in Texas, vis-a-vis energy and environmental laws. Now I'm pleased to have him back on to discuss a new project he founded and research that he published in his waning days at the Texas Public Policy Foundation, where he, until recently, served as director of Life Powered. Jason, thanks for being with us again. Starling, great to be on. Thanks for having me. So uh, before we jump into your recent research on the true cost of electric vehicles and your new venture, Jason, for our listeners who may not be familiar with you, please tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and what made you want to serve in the Texas House, and why did you gravitate, of all the things you could have done in the Texas House, why did you gravitate to energy and environmental issues? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, Sterling, it's, gosh, I used to work in the trucking industry. I was marketing technology to trucking companies, did that for a couple of decades, uh, and, and loved working in that industry, but got frustrated with some policy changes that were happening in the Texas Capitol. I started to get involved with the Texas Trucking Association and going to Trucking Day at the Capitol and meeting with policymakers and realized that there were some decisions that were being made in the Texas Capitol that were making it harder for me to, me to make a living because they were increasing the cost uh, and burdens to trucking companies. And that's essentially how I'm how I made a living. And then I, you know, I started to understand the industry better that, gosh, any increase in cost to trucking companies really gets pushed down to the least among us. And the, the number one driver of those costs is increased cost in fuel. And so really started to look at energy policy and, and decided to run for office in 2010, got elected um, and, and served four terms. I focused primarily on energy and environmental issues while I was in the legislature and uh, had this opportunity to join the foundation, the Texas Public Policy Foundation, about five years ago because they have an energy and environment center called Life Powered with a, a mission statement to raise America's energy IQ. And then about uh, kind of a year and a half ago, we started hearing from some of our friends, people that we interact with that help guide our work at, within Life Powered, that they're a little frustrated with the voices that they have in the state capitals from their trade organizations because they're capitulating on things like CO2 emissions and they're agreeing to the Paris Climate Accord, which was meant for countries, not companies, and has, hasn't been ratified by Congress. Uh, and so it came this idea to launch the American Energy Institute. So I have uh, done that here just in the last month or two. Uh, and, and just sort somewhat stepped away from the foundation, although I'm just a senior fellow now with the Texas Public Policy Foundation and still involved with their life-powered effort, uh, but now the CEO of the American Energy Institute as we look to build a trade organization, a, C, a 501c6, that will truly represent American energy producers with one caveat that we support free markets first and foremost. We want to end subsidies across the board for every source of energy production to level the playing field because that will result and having affordable, reliable energy. And, and that's, that holds the key to human flourishing. We need to produce more oil, more gas, more coal, and definitely a lot more nuclear energy in this country and beyond. 
Right. Now, um, though you no longer serve in the legislature, I believe you uh, you uh, passed the torch on to your wife. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah, that's correct. My, or my I should wife. say, I should say, to be fair, pass the burden on yes, yeah, I I did an eight year sentence, and now she's in the midst of her first two year sentence, and just filed a run for reelection. Uh, she is a freshman. The legislature represents House District seventy three, which is half of Co- Hayes County, which overlaps with the area that I served. That redistricting happened, and so the district changed, the number changed, but she has half of Hayes County where we live, and then all of Comal County where New Braunfels and Canyon Lake is. Just absolute beautiful Texas Hill Country District. I mean, it's 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 just absolutely incredible. And she has done a phenomenal job as a freshman legislator. Had some incredible wins. Uh, and I and I when I was in office, I told her she would do a better job at this because she's much more direct and in your face and doesn't mind conflict at all whatsoever. And, and we'll do it with a smile on her face. And she has proven not only her you know, effectiveness at getting the right things done. Uh, it's just been absolutely incredible. Well, we thank you for your service in that regard, even as we shake our heads and wonder what the heck you were thinking. Uh, <laughs> and what the heck she's thinking. But any, uh, yeah. in any case. for punishment. It's certainly yeah, exactly. service. I went broke doing it, and, and that's why I couldn't do any more than eight years because the legislature in Texas just doesn't pay. No. Uh, and, and so I had to had to get out and get back to the private sector, which I think a lot of politicians should do, serve a short period of time and get out and get back to the private sector and focus on their families and their communities. Right. Well, Jason, I think almost every one of our listeners is probably aware that electric vehicles in general cost more than those powered by internal combustion engines. And they are also likely aware that they come with significant drawbacks and dangers unique to the technology. However, you recently co-authored a paper for the Texas Public Policy Foundation titled, quote, Overcharged Expectations, Unmasking the True Costs of Electric Vehicles, unquote. What were some of the additional costs aside from the visible higher sticker price and the upfront federal tax credit that you and your colleague discovered? Well, I, 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 when I'm speaking now, I ask people in the audience if they have uh, an electric vehicle. And, it, and I think yesterday was the first time that someone raised their hand and said they do have an electric vehicle. And I said, I'm still waiting for my thank you note. And they kind of looked at me puzzled because I, I talked about some of the cost that they're not paying that we are paying as, as we as in consumers and rate payers. So if it's electric rate you know, rates that we're paying, we're actually paying to subsidize the cost of increasing the equipment so neighborhoods and, and places can handle the draw the electric vehicles put on the grid. But I don't I don't have an electric vehicle, but I'm helping a lot of other people that are wealthy uh, owners, wealthy people that are buying these electric gadgets and 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 you and I are helping with their costs. There's you know there's infrastructure costs with charging. That stuff just doesn't grow. People are like oh we need to have more electric chargers around the country. And 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 I say, yeah, some I don't know about we, but you may need them. But I certainly don't need them. There's plenty of gas stations where I can fuel up, and those gas stations haven't been subsidized by the federal or state or local governments. Right. But every single electric vehicle charging that's open to the public has been subsidized by taxpayers and ratepayers. Both are helping pitch in for the cost of that facility. But it's not just the the electric power. It's not just the charging, you know, the the, the charging facilities themselves, though they are being heavily subsidized through that uh, that great bill that has reduced inflation, the, Re- the Inflation Reduction Act, 
We all know that's what it was aimed at because it's in the title. Um, so what were some of the other costs? I mean, because there's a lot of hidden there's a lot of hidden fees that I think most people, some of which even I, you know, and I'm pretty I'm pretty uh, cognizant of things with electric vehicles. But even I was surprised at some of these uh, these things. Yeah, you look at some of the credits that are available. A lot of people know about the $7,500 credit that you get to tax credit for the individual buyer. So you and I are helping pay for that because we have an increased tax burden. We're not getting that. But there are these crazy multiplier credits. Now, this is the one that I thought our paper leaked a couple of days before it got released because the Wall Street Journal had run an article talking about this multiplier credit. And and the credit is if you if you save a gallon of fuel, you get credit for saving a gallon of fuel. So if between a 2021 and 2022 model F-150, you know, they make some more components with aluminum, they lighten the weight and they get a rating from, you know, 20 miles a gallon to 21 miles a gallon, they get a credit of saving that. And that that helps them meet their corporate average fuel economy. Well, for an electric vehicle. If you save a gallon of fuel, which I, I don't know how they calculate that, but if you, uh, th there is some way to calculate it. If they save a gallon of fuel, they don't get credit for saving one. They get credit for saving nearly seven. And it's just this incredible multiplier that's a gimmick that I have, I have joked that Bernie Madoff and Enron accountants and you know Sam Bankman-Fried with FTX would blush at the market manipulation, the accounting maneuvers that are being done with this credit. But that's what's happening, and that's contributing nearly $20,000 per cost of electric vehicles over 10 years that you and I are paying for. So when we buy an internal combustion, a gas or diesel vehicle, we are, the automobile manufacturer, Ford, GM, Stellantis, they're having to buy these credits to make their corporate average fuel economy meet the federal requirements. Even though we're a world leader in clean air in this country, we've we've reduced pollution nearly 80% over the last five decades. In fact, you take half the cars off the road like we did during the first two months of the COVID lockdown and the air quality didn't improve. In some cities, it actually got worse. It was negligible, but it got worse. There's, there's no advancements we can make in improving the air quality in this country, but the federal government, this current administration is still hell-bent on driving up the fuel economy of vehicles, and that doesn't help anyone. It just increases the cost of the cars. That's why people are keeping longer, older, less safe cars on the roads. It's a huge detriment, but but you and I are paying this this fee of or, or you know we're pitching in towards twenty thousand dollars per electric vehicle. Now that number is only going to get much higher because our study didn't include twenty twenty two sales, and it, we're going to update it here in a few months to update these numbers. But nearly fifty thousand dollars in additional cost for an EV over ten years of ownership. Now let's let's be clear: they get these credits, but. It's not like you go and put the credit on the shelf. Let's say you were uh, the CEO of the largest electric vehicle manufacturer in America. Um, let's call ourselves Elon Musk. <laughs> and you get these credits because all you do is produce electric vehicles. And so for every electric vehicle, for every gallon saved, you get seven credits. You don't put them on the shelf. You sell them to other manufacturers, right? Yes. How, how profitable has that been for for uh, the imaginary uh, 
car company Tesla and Elon Musk. Tesla would not have been profitable last year had it not been for the sale of these credits. So they get, uh, you know, tons of credits and they're selling them to Ford, GM. It was $1.78 billion in revenue in 2022 for Tesla to sell these credits. Again, these are arbitrary credits that the government has created this market uh, where a market should not exist. And it's likely unlawful. It, it's my understanding that this multiplier isn't even in statute. But it's another one of the things that the Biden administration is just turning a blind eye towards. You know, we're talking Iranian oil sales to China. Just who cares? Let them do it. Oh, it doesn't matter. They're funding Hezbollah and Hamas. You know, I, I could digress. But they're just turning a blind eye to things that are illegal that are happening right in oh, front of us. Oh, you see, now you're so, you're so kind. You're not <laughs> They're not turning a blind eye. They're 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 actively fostering law breaking. Yes, I mean yes. this isn't a rule that was foisted upon them. This is a a, a, a program that they encourage and develop. So it's yeah. not a blind eye. It's, yeah. it's active participation in law breaking. Yeah, we would be so lucky if Xi Jinping would take a nationwide tour, might clean up the whole country. It's like Xi, could, can I give you a list of Democrat <laughs> cities to go visit so that they'll they'll clean up and pull out the street sweepers and uh, get rid of the tents and the feces all over the sidewalk? There and, you go. I mean, it's just incredible that what's yeah. going on in California so, because Xi is showing up. So they've sold these credits, and um, now somebody's paying for these credits. The car companies and the car companies are. Uh, Putting the cost, they, they have one of two choices. They can eat the cost of these credits themselves, and they probably are doing some of that, but they can also tack on the cost of the credits they purchase to the sale of vehicles, not electric vehicles, mind you, because they're being cross-subsidized by their internal combustion engine vehicles. Mm -hmm. um, so everyone who buys a Ford F-150 or, or, you know, pick your, pick your internal combustion engine from any of the major car companies. Um, you're paying more than you would be otherwise because of these credits, because the cost of those credits, at least some of it is being ladled onto you. I mean, you know, Ford is losing what? 70, 50, $70,000 per, per. Yeah. I think Robert truck. Bryce just reported it was $62,000 $62, per truck that last quarter, you know, and, and but but Ford discounted the Lightning from ninety eight to ninety two thousand dollars, so it's still unaffordable. <laughs> <laughs> and so, then you add on the sixty two thousand dollars that shareholders are pitching in, yeah. And, and then now you've got another f almost fifty thousand dollars in cost that you and I are pitching in, and that truck, the true cost of that truck is well over $200,000. Now, some of those costs are aggregated over 10 years, but I mean, to drive it off the lot, if you were truly paying yeah. that cost of that truck, you'd be paying well over $150,000. And maybe that's why no one's buying them. Yeah, and all this, and all this uh, looking beyond Ford, it certainly helped GM. How many electric trucks did you find they sold? <laughs> Uh, last quarter, the Silverado electric pickup truck. <laughs> I love this. They sold 18 of them. <laughs> in, in one dealership or across no, the nation? That was their total sales. I mean, it's just hilarious. No well, one, you, I mean, you can I, see, like, you can see everyone's moving to electric vehicles. That's, yeah. that's living, that's living proof. Yeah, I had, I, had a, I had a service guy show up at my house to work on something a couple of days ago, and he's not driving an electric truck.
Yeah, because it, wow. it, it's just not – could you imagine pulling up to someone's house like, hey, I want to work on your plumbing, but can I charge my truck while I'm here? You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just – it's absolutely absurd. Let you pay for my fill-up. Yeah. Uh, in the end, what is the true cost of the Biden administration's – and to be fair, many states – electric vehicles fetish? Uh, in, micro, in macroeconomic terms – in terms of price per gallon paid equivalent, because I, I, that was an eye opener for me when y'all did it in that. And in terms of the true sticker price. Yeah. So the true sticker price, again, would, would be at least $50,000 more. Yeah, you're, but plus the $62,000 that they're losing on the sale of these vehicles. Uh, so it's, it's going to significantly increase the, co- the, the true sticker cost. Again, they're they're not selling. I think a year ago there were thirty four thousand electric vehicles on the lot. Today there's one hundred and twenty one thousand electric vehicles on the lot. You have uh, they're sitting on lots over ninety days. The average internal combustion engine is between right at about fifty fifty two days. So they're sitting on lots longer. Car, dealers want to move cars. They want to move product to make money, uh, and they're low margin. But they're you know they they get some money at the end of the year with the holdback. That you can't have stuff sitting on a lot. It just doesn't work out real well. And then when you consider the cost per gallon of these things, it, it's absolutely mind boggling. They, they may be paying a dollar twenty one at home to charge up their car car. But if they paid the entire true cost, it'd be over $17 a gallon. I love it. Ted Nugent shared that number and, and tweeted that out or put it on social media. Maybe it was Instagram. Um, but sharing our research. So I thought that was good. That got some good exposure. Disclose TV put some images of our research out. Got over 5 million views on their stuff. But these corporate average fuel economy standards add nearly $6 per gallon. The greenhouse gas, the multiplier credits uh, over a dollar. California mandates, which uh, there are 17 other states that just adopt whatever California puts into law when it comes to their vehicles. So you got 17 states in Washington, D.C. that now have electric vehicle mandates by 2035 to comply with California. Uh, I think they call those Section 177 states. It's absolutely absurd. But all those costs add up to over $17 a gallon. Again, that's the true cost to charge a car. No one would be doing it, but you've got wealthy people that are getting extremely subsidized by you and me as ratepayers and taxpayers. Um, Gordon Tullock, an associate of Nobel Prize winner James Buchanan, he wrote about programs like that. He called them welfare for the well-to-do. And this is a prime example of that because most electric vehicles are bought by upper income households. So this Mm -hmm. is the poor subsidizing the wealthy's electric vehicle fetish. You know, thinking about what you said about 90 days on the lot, right? So you got this electric vehicle just sitting there and it's not charging the whole time because they don't have enough chargers for all the electric vehicles. So you have to cycle them on and off. But that means you're constantly... Your dealer is it has has some cost involved here, some substantial. Their electric power bill is substantially higher than it would otherwise be because of this, and of course that's probably being passed on to you as well in, mm-hmm. in one fashion or another. But because you can't, you go on the lot and you buy that uh, you buy that electric vehicle. It's been sitting there for ninety days, 
and it hasn't been charged, no, you don't drive off the lot, right? You have to, they have to be ready to drive off the lot whenever anyone actually comes on and, and buys them. So they've got to be charged constantly. Yeah. I don't have to, look, if I've got a, a uh, you know, pick, pick your automobile, pick your minivan, pick your uh, SUV, uh, that's internal combustion engine. Your dealers don't have to constantly go out and add gasoline to the tanks. <laughs> yeah, this good dense energy that they don't have to add. You're you're exactly right. It's 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 sort of but, sitting there waiting for them to come and turn on to turn the key. Yeah, Not and you've had so some dealers that have said, "Look, we don't want to sell electric vehicles." And what yeah. what's happening is GM and Ford are coming and say, "Well, great, we're going to pull your dealership then." Wow. It it's. But because they, they don't want to bear the cost of spending thousands of dollars, and we're talking tens of thousands of dollars, to build a charging network to, to charge these vehicles. Yeah, that's no, crazy. It's just, it's madness. Mm-hmm. Jason, I, I'm proud of the, the chairman of Toyota. He's like the only chairman of an automobile manufacturing company that is actually speaking the truth. And he's talking about the waste and how inefficient this is. And if and if people are truly concerned about emissions, I'm not. We're world leaders in reducing pollution. And, you know, this trace gas CO2, it's 0.04% of our atmosphere that everybody's trying to scare you about is going to kill us all. It's really necessary for life on Earth. But if you truly want to reduce emissions, which we've proven the people on the left don't care about it. If they did, they'd want to embrace nuclear. It's about control. But for, for one electric vehicle, the components that go in one electric vehicle, he could make 90 hybrid electric vehicles, which would reduce pollution, increase efficiency, uh, and, and reduce fuel consumption. So uh, apparently those are good things, you would think. A more efficient vehicle that uses less fuel that saves the owner money and is, you've got a more reliable vehicle. It, it sounds great to me, but he's the only one that's standing up and saying this. But you look at the institutional investors, you know, the, the, the investors are subsidizing this because they're having poor returns at Ford. Their, their profit would have been more than doubled last quarter, had not been for the electric vehicle losses. And, and who's paying for that? Shareholders. But you look at who some of these institutional shareholder investors are in these companies, and it's BlackRock, Vanguard, and State yeah. Street, three of the largest financial institutions in the world that are pushing their political ideology. I call it the, the politicization of capital. They're forcing these companies to do this, and, and then their compensation is tied to it. Yeah. I had opportunity to testify in front of Congress, and it's last week. It was over 75% of executives compensation of companies on the S&P 500 are tied to ESG and or DEI goals. Yeah. Now, you know, it's it's uh it's perverse. I uh, I just wish someone like uh Stellantis or GM or Ford, you know, just pick pick your company would say, "You know what? We're not going to comply." And how we're not going to comply? We'll end up paying the the tax per vehicle for our internal because that's all the cafe standard does. It doesn't say you can't put them on the streets. It just mm-hmm. says you have to pay a tax. Yeah. Well, we're going to pay tax for vehicles, but we're going to offer we're rather than cutting off by 2035, which I think all but Ford have promised to do. GM and Stellantis did. Uh, we're no longer going to have internal combustion engines. One of them should come out and say, "No, we're going to keep selling them until they actually outlaw them." And uh, you can get them from us. No, our competitors won't have them, but you can get them from us. Um, the price will be higher because you will have to pay the tax. But um, uh, if you want your internal combustion engine, come to us. You know, at least one luxury car manufacturer basically did that. Lamborghini said it was going to go to electric. And Ferrari said, we're never going to electric. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> you, want you, you want a Ferrari that has a roar? 
we're going to keep selling them and you'll pay more. Uh, right. It's not like, to be honest, you're not going to notice how much more you're paying for a Ferrari because you're already paying, um, you know, it's, but it's yeah, but certainly it'd be great if the companies did, did exactly what you're talking about. were bold yeah. and supported the products that they produce and how they impact humanity and how they actually help people get around this, this, freedom to move is, is really liberty, but put it on the sticker. This is how much the of the car cost because of each regulation. Spell it out. And then the American consumer will get educated and they'll get furious. Yeah. But yeah, you know, I mean put it on the sticker and and man, just put the number to and, your congressman's office. <laughs> I mean I'd be I'd be the car company that said, look, I'm not going to satisfy government demand. I'm going to satisfy your demand, consumer demand. You tell us with your purchases at the at, on the car lot, you want internal combustion engines. That's what I'm going to keep selling until you tell me that what you really want is electric or steam or hydrogen or something else. Uh, I'm going to sell internal combustion engines because I'm about satisfying your demand. Uh, they'd be heroes. They'd yeah, they really heroes. would. Um, Jason. Anything besides the true price uh, you think taxpayers and consumers should consider with regards to transportation policy vis-a-vis government incentivized and mandated demand for electric vehicles? You know, there's been all this uh, concern as we approach Thanksgiving, and apparently it's a record time for home fires because I think people are frying turkeys. So if you have any family that's coming to visit that's driving an electric vehicle, tell them to park it safely away from the house and other cars. And <laughs> you know, it's the last thing you want is to deal with that kind of fire because there's no putting that fire out. You just you have to just let it burn. Yeah. Uh, you could dump hundreds of thousands of gallons on the on the lithium fire, on the batteries, and you just have to let them burn. Uh, and it's so not just, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not automobiles only. It's, it's, it's just yesterday in Brooklyn, three people did. Yeah. Three people from what? A lithium ion battery and an, an electric scooter. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. You've got what? shipping companies that won't even haul electric vehicles anymore. I, if I was an insurer, I wouldn't insure a shipping company that hauled electric vehicles and I wouldn't insure electric vehicles. Yeah. Yeah. During a, a hurricane in Florida, I mean, the, you get saltwater exposure to these and you, you had lost houses because people had their electric vehicles either parked in the driveway or parked in the garage. You had a little bit of flooding uh, and then it takes down the house. It takes down the neighbor's houses because of one electric vehicle. Yeah. It, it, it's this the people think it's this panacea to go 100 percent electric while there's 40,000 kids in the Congo mining the cobalt that's going to go in these electric vehicles. 100 percent of the graphite comes from China that goes in these electric vehicles. We need to produce more American energy and lift people out of poverty and really get rid of some of these excessive regulations and credits that are just distorting the market to pick winners and losers. And those winners aren't Americans uh, at yeah. this point in time with this current administration. So it's well, all they are the the only winners. Let's face it: the people in Congo aren't winners either. It's the corrupt government there that wins. It's the mm -hmm. authoritarian government in China. It's not the slave labor, the Uyghurs or the or the uh, Falun Gong members that are working in these factories that are winners because we're purchasing their goods. It's just the uh, the Chinese government that's the winner. Yep, you're absolutely right. And people think of batteries are going to be the answer to everything. Just keep in mind that there's a total installed battery capacity in the U.S. would keep the lights on for two minutes. The battery cost electricity is over $460 per kilowatt hour compared to mm -hmm. three cents for coal. I'll take coal all day, every day at that cost compared to like, you know, the electric batteries. 
God, someone should get you a crown and call you carbon. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think Congressman Raskin for that one. I, I tell people I live a high carbon <laughs> lifestyle and the rest of the world should too. It's where we have economic prosperity. And with that comes environmental leadership. And he got up on the dais earlier this year and called me a carbon king. And I was like, man, I kind of like that. I think I'm going to. Yeah, there you go. There's your moniker. My crown right behind me with my pump jack on top of it. <laughs> Jason, you recently started a new organization, the American Energy Institute. What was the purpose of founding it? How is it different from organizations like the Heartland Institute or the Texas Public Policy Foundation? Yes, yeah, so Heartland and Texas Public Policy Foundation are 501c3s. The American Energy Institute that we're building is going to be a new trade organization, a 501c6. So we're going to look for corporate members, businesses around this country that support first and foremost free markets and American energy, oil, gas, coal, nuclear. And so that's what we're building is this new trade organization because there's, and there are a lot of trade organizations and I researched them for over a year to try to find someone that may align with these principles. And they don't, you look at their websites and they're covered with ESG stuff. They're covered with decarbonization and Paris aligned and DEI. And uh, it's just really unfortunate. They're going, it's like they want to be the last person or the last thing eaten by the alligator, but they're still going to get eaten. They're still destroying their industry. They're supposedly representing and that's the last thing we need. And there are members in Congress and there are members in state capitals that are truly looking for a trade organization that doesn't have its handout, that doesn't want something in return, that wants to help cut red tape so we can produce more American energy and lift the world's poor out of poverty. And with that, we're building this coalition for American energy. And you can go to our website, AmericanEnergyInstitute.com and sign the pledge. It's real simple. It's it's four bullet points, but it's essentially that you support American energy and free markets and that you think that access to energy is the key to human flourishing. Uh, so we would love for people to go there and, and sign that pledge. We're looking for business leaders, thought leaders, and really just people in America that support American energy so that we can grow out this coalition. There's no cost to join. We will you know, convene our coalition from time to time uh, with updates and action items uh, so that we can help advance those principles. Well, gosh, it's always, I always enjoy having you on. Uh, I, I wish we could do, do it every week. Jason, <laughs> it's been a pleasure speaking with you. I want to thank you for coming on the show on behalf of myself and our listeners. Thank you, Sterling, for having me on. appreciate it. Always good to talk. Listeners, thanks for checking in on us today. Please check Harlan's website as we follow the work of Jason Isaac and the American Energy Institute. Please also continue to follow us as we track the progress of energy and environmental laws and regulations that affect you. Also, if you're not already receiving these podcasts daily on your favorite device, go to iTunes and subscribe. And when you have the time, please rate our podcast on iTunes so you can help us expand the reach of free market ideas. You might also check out our weekly Climate Change Roundtable live stream every Friday on your favorite social media streaming service where Anthony Watts, Linnea Lucan, and myself, and almost weekly guests, discuss the climate topic or topics of the week, complete with taking questions from viewers. Thanks. Take care. Bye.